Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. All right, everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Better Construction. This week, I am very pleased to have with me Dr. Joe Stieber. Dr. Joe almost doesn't need an introduction in our industry, but uh, I will attempt to do one anyways. Uh, He is the principal at the Building Science Corp., uh, certainly very well known for wide variety of different programs that he's worked on, research that he's done. So, uh, Dr. Joe, welcome to the show. Well, good to be with you. So for the maybe three people who watch, uh, listen to this and watch this that don't know who you are, maybe do a quick intro. I'm a re- recovering builder who became a cross to the dark side, according to my father, and became an engineer. And I spent uh, the last 40 years uh, fixing problem buildings and keeping buildings from having problems. And um, my focus is basically heat flow, moisture flow, airflow, heat and mass transport. So I don't do structural stuff. There are lots of really good structural engineers. Um, I don't do plumbing and I don't do electricity, but I do water and water and water. And I can interface with structural engineers when their designs lead to corrosion because there's water coming in. Their, their designs lead to rot and decay because there's water coming in. And I'm saying, your building's going to fall down if we don't stop this water problem. So that's pretty much uh, what I do. I, I I rarely get a call saying, Joe, things are going great. Let's have a beer. It's <laughs> <laughs> the end of the world. The vampires are coming. You know, what's going on? So that's, that's what I do. Very interesting. So you made a reference to being a recovering builder. Uh, when you were younger, how did you kind of get started in the industry? And, and I know you obviously have quite a bit of schooling for mechanical engineering and different uh, things to do with building science. But how did you kind of get started out? Well, my father was a home builder. Um, I was the kid carrying the asphalt shingles up under the roof. I was the kid that had to go get the mortar mix uh, for, for the masons. I was the guy that was you know, beat up by the drywallers. And so I, I became a laborer at first. And then, uh, of course, at the end of my teenage years, I was certainly a lot smarter than my father, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> and I started my own company. And uh, in the next two, three years, I realized, man, dad is really freaking smart. <laughs> I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And then uh, the recession, recession hit. This is 78, 79, and uh, went back to university got my had an undergraduate degree in, in uh, mechanical I got my master's in, in civil and my doctors in, in, in building science and found I could make more money talking about stuff than actually doing it so I became a, a consultant okay and so what led to kind of the really strong interest in in how these buildings were put together and and how all of the different pieces interplay with each other because not everybody goes there well uh, what happened was that I ended up getting hired as the youngest ever director of research for the Canadian Home Builders Association. I was in charge of developing something called the R2000 program, and I was 26, 27 years old. I, I didn't know anything, but I knew enough at that point that I didn't know much, and I asked old people. And they said, young Joseph, uh, if you add all this insulation, you reduce the drying potential these buildings are going to rot 
you tighten up this building, you're going to kill people from carbon monoxide poisoning because of spillage and backdrafting of the products of production. I'm saying, whoa, okay, I want to make buildings better, but it's real important not to kill people. And so I said, you know, you, you can only do this dying thing once, so maybe we you know how to pick our spots. I guess that depends on your religion or your cult. You know, maybe <laughs> you can die more than once. But um, So I was uh, fascinated about how things evolved. And at the time, nobody really cared. I just was very fortunate. I ran into some legendary folks, uh, Gus Hanegord at the National Research Council of Canada, John Timisk at the uh, University of uh, uh, Toronto, um, Max Baker, Kirby Garden. I mean, these, these, they were like shocked that a youngster was, you know, actually wanting to to learn from them. I, I remember, you know, I, I was broke and destitute and I was living in my mom's basement. I'd drive a rusted out Ford Tempo five hours to have coffee at, from Toronto to the National Research Council of Canada to have coffee with these folks. And they kind of adopted me and um, um, it was, it was magnificent. I uh, had no, I had no idea that I would end up uh, where I am today when I first started. The home building stuff was just for me to get spending money to go through university. I uh, I went to aerospace engineering. I actually was a rocket scientist, uh, or actually a rocket engineer. There were no rocket scientists getting us to the moon. It was a bunch of rocket engineers. That was, anyway, so, but I was, you know, times were tough when I graduated. I you know, ended up back in construction simply because, you know, who's going to hire a 22-year-old engineering graduate when you've got people with 20, 30 years of experience out of work. And so, you know, I went back into construction and uh, never left. So it was kind of, the best thing that ever happened to me was not being able to get a job when I graduated <laughs> as an undergrad. I, I always ask these questions because I find that I'm very fortunate to have had some very interesting people on the show. And the, the stories about how they get from where they started to where they are in their career are, are almost exclusively never a straight line. And so it's it's very interesting to see kind of the, the interplay of fate and preparation uh, that lead to, uh, you know, the different levels of success that everyone experiences. One thing I did want to talk a little bit more about, obviously, is the company that you uh, helped to start. You're the principal at Building Science Corp. What was the thought process in starting that company rather than maybe going and working for a large established firm? Well, nobody, nobody would hire me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they're sad about that now, but <laughs> well, no, I mean it's like you know, who are you? And, you know, and 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 uh, I couldn't I couldn't get a job, and and so I said, all right, so I'll I'll start um, my own my own firm, and I uh, I found that um, Canadians weren't very interested in any of this, but uh, Americans were very interested, and so. I started um, putting on seminars and, and presentations in the United States with direct mailing, and it used to do with slide carousels, you know, the slide projector and uh, trays. I mean, I, it was, and and I I started doing the presentations not because I wanted to do the presentations; it was marketing so I could get business. Well, I found out that it, I was making more money talking about stuff than actually doing the work, and I'm like, this is. Amazing. And then, um, you know, after five or six years of being a, a sole practitioner, we started getting started getting work. 
and uh, had to hire had to hire people. And uh, uh, one of the people that uh, I you know I tried to hire was a beautiful blonde architect from Massachusetts. Except um, you know she basically we got married and she ran she took over the business and that was Betsy Pettit and uh, I met her when I was doing a presentation on. EIFS failures, and she was in charge of fixing uh, hundreds of EIFS failures in the United States and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and 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 uh, you know that's how we met. So you know, I, uh, failure has made me the man that I am today, and 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 uh, uh, she more or less built the business. I'm I'm the arm candy. Uh, I don't I don't know how to really run a business, but she's spectacular that way, and and. We've been together 30 years, and the company has done extraordinarily well. Definitely, definitely has. Uh, what are your focuses now with Building Science Corp? Uh, what's what's the, I guess, current projects or current uh, focuses that you have in the industry? Well, uh, over half of our business deals with um, design reviews and keeping people out of trouble, basically. The term now is 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 uh, building commissioning, and I, you know, I, I want to take credit that I invented that concept. This is if you, know, you commission mechanical systems, why can't you commission building systems? This is in the early '90s, and what people, you know, would hire me, hire us, hire me after they had a problem. I said, well, how do we avoid the problem? I said, well, why don't you talk to me before you start construction? And so we got into the design review uh, business. That uh, came out of the failure analysis side, and then um, started doing mock-ups. And 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 I said, "Oh my God, this is actually pretty good." So most of our business does is doing design reviews and field inspections during the course of construction. And uh, we like to start at the very beginning. And uh, uh, it's usually late. It's it's really irritating when you get. 90% construction drawings and you're asked to review them. And I'm saying, well, you know, wait, wait a minute. I mean, this is stupid. We could have made all these really easy decisions at the very beginning. And so that's half of our business. The other half is doing fundamental R&D. We do an awful lot of work for the Department of Energy through the Building America program and um, develop over the years some pretty interesting stuff as an invented conditioned attics, unvented conditioned crawl spaces, um, managed to define air barrier materials, air barrier assemblies, air barrier enclosures, defined vapor barriers, vapor retarders, class one, class two, class three. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, That uh, has been basically out of the work out of the Department of Energy. The focus now is, is retrofit and rehabilitation. I keep telling people that, you know, you take one of these wonderful old buildings that's been around for 50, 70 years and you try to improve it, you're actually going to screw it up. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm saying, okay, everybody take a value. I know, you know, you want to save an awful lot of energy, but there's no such thing as a free thermodynamic lunch. If you change the energy flow, um, there's not energy available to dry things out after they inevitably get wet. So if you're going to reduce the drying potential, you have to reduce the wetting potential. Well, sometimes that's not easy to do if you've got a historic building. You know, you 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 don't want to change the appearance. I mean, it's real easy to put all the stuff on the outside and 
But some of these old buildings are quite spectacular. Now that I'm becoming old, I like to think that, you know, old is kind of handsome and dashing and dynamic, and I don't want to screw me up, and I don't want to screw up the old building. And so but we have to make these interventions uh, to deal with rainwater management and air management in these old buildings. And it's our, my goal is that we need to intervene, but we want to intervene in such a way that nobody knows that we were there. So I tell the architects and the engineers, if we do our job right, nobody will know that we touched the outside of this building. And you can insulate up the wazoo on the inside. And that's a metric term. It's two yin-yangs. Two yin-yangs <laughs> is a wazoo. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, the, the idea of no one knowing that you were there is, is really interesting to me because uh, I can, my day job, I work a lot with Passive House and Net Zero and some of these standards on homes. And uh, people are often, uh, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, the old houses, they lasted for, you know, 60, 70 years. Well, you know, why do we need to change anything? And it's like, well, they, they do because they have a tremendous amount of air flowing through the walls and they keep everything nice and dry. Um, but if we want to save that energy, then there's a big difference that we need to make in how we address that. For you, looking at these uh, retrofit projects, what are some of the, the biggest misses that you see when you do get those drawings that are maybe you know further along through the process than you would have liked it to have been? Well, people don't know how to deal with windows. I mean, there are only two kinds of windows in the world, windows that leak and windows that will leak. So what do we know about freaking windows? It gets worse. Windows are like people. As windows and people get old, we leak. <laughs> you youngsters have no freaking idea what's going to happen to you. And so in the old days, that leakage was called incidental water because it can't leak in and it evaporated in both directions. Who cares? Now we have to completely flash the opening so that when the window inevitably leaks as it ages, the water is directed to the outside. I mean, a leak is not a leak if the client never sees it. And same thing with doors. So, so I view this as punched opening. Well, historic people get really upset when you tell them that we want to take all your windows out <laughs> and redo the opening. Ah, it's a little, you know, relax, take a volume. We will take the window out. We'll redo the opening and nobody will be able to know that we've redone the opening because you can't see the redoing from the inside or the outside. And then we'll rebuild your window, the, the window that we've taken out. We will we'll, we'll massage it a little bit, uh, replace the rotted pieces with exactly the same stuff and, you know, and shave a quarter inch around the entire perimeter to give me space and put it back in with a two-stage joint. And now I've got a, a window opening that can, you know, is never going to lead to problems with injecting water into the wall. And then I can insulate tremendously. But, you know, talking to the historic people is, is you know, is, is difficult. They, you know, they, they don't want you to do anything. And I said, well, I want to save the building. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not your enemy. And, and, you know, they get really upset if we say, well, we, let's put in a new window that looks like the old window and have it triple glazed with krypton. <sighs> so we've, you know, we've developed interior storms, right? And and so that, you know, we don't put the storm on the outside, we put the storm on the inside and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, so it's a lot of fun. And we have to retrofit curfs on the underside of projecting masonry sills and put little drip edges that... Um, Nobody knows that they're there, and, and, and we, we argue that they're reversible. We've we actually managed to put drip edges with sealant that is the same color as whatever the facade material is. And, you know, you don't, you know, 
unless you really look carefully, you don't know that it's there. And if you get really irritated in 30 years, you can scrape the stuff off. And so it's, uh, you know, we, we need to educate a whole new generation of historic people. And, you know, the really old historic folks, man, they're damn good. Well, apparently, you know, there's a disconnect. The middle-aged historic people don't talk to the old ones and the young ones don't know that they need to talk to the old ones as well. And it's like, we have the same um, institutional deficiency in, in engineering and in and, and all the professions that we, we seem to be having a, um, an institutional gap of, uh, we're not transferring institutional memory from one generation to the next. And that's a, that's a, that's a shame. Um, I, again, I was very fortunate. When I was young. I, Ended up talking to old people because I had no friends and I didn't have a job. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of nicely dovetails with my next uh, topic that I want to talk about, which is this new concept. And I say that in air quotes quite uh, purposefully of, you know, having a focus on building science and having high performance buildings. Um, what do you think is driving the kind of renewed interest in that now? Is it just the energy standards that are coming up or do you think it's just kind of a cyclical thing that comes around as people start to see some failures of, you know, honestly, some poorly built buildings in the eighties and nineties? Oh, no, no, no. Look, um, it's building science was never important or special. It's important and special now. Why? Because we're screwing things up. Things become intolerably bad, and then we intervene. And, and so all of a sudden, you know, things are becoming intolerably bad. You know, it, it, this is, you know, what, what were the first really big problems in, in, in construction historically? Well, it was basically, you know, sewage, right? Keeping the, the shit out of the water. So the first big code changes 2,000 years ago in building practice was to separate clean water from you know, allowed us to live in cities. And when, and then what happened? Well, we, cities began to burn down, you know, the great fire of London. And so suddenly we became insanely good at, at fire. We, we had to, you know, burn Chicago down and, and whatever. And then what? Well, after, you know, sanitation and plumbing, and clean water, and then fire, we got into structure, you know, we had all kinds of structural failures. We don't have structural failures now because we're really good at it. In fact, Nothing much happens in structural engineering anymore because, you know, they're so good. That's why structural engineers are so boring. I mean, you want to make a structural engineer's day, take him or her to lunch and ask them about moments. Their eyes just light up. Now what's left? Well, it's all water, rot, and decay. And, 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 and that's because we've run out of, you know, we've handled the sanitation and the clean water. We've handled the fire. We've handled the structure. Now what's left? Well, you know water and water has become a problem because we've changed the energy flow and again this was predicted but it had to become intolerably bad and i you know I, i'm not really saying much anything different than i said 30 years ago but now all of a sudden you know our classes are filled and you know, i have people call me up and ask me to do their their webinar show and record me and, and, and whatever that never happened. Well, why? Well, because things are bad. You know, and they'll be bad for, you know, another decade or two. And, 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 uh, you know, people have no idea the consequences of what 
they're asking the construction industry and the architectural industry and the engineering industry to do. You know, oh, it's real easy to go to net zero. It's real easy to be carbon neutral or carbon free. Let's deal with embodied energy. We'll all be there by 2030, 2040, 2050. Now, if you can't do math or physics, you go into biology, you can't do biology, you go into medicine, can't do medicine, go into journalism, can't do that, become a politician and provide all these stupid requirements that they have no idea what the consequences are. Now, carbon neutral, what does that mean? Well, anything you want right now, we can do a calculation. Really, if you did calculations that way with your income tax, you'd be put in prison for lying and dishonesty. That's all coming. It'll be great. So building science, you know, how do we stick handle? That's a phrase that I like to use with Canadians, but I can't use with Americans. Just stick handle our way through the physics, material science to try to make all of this work. Um, you know, I got clients that you can't use plastic. Okay. Can we use it? No, you can't use that. It's okay. I, my job is to help you use whatever it is you want to use within what we know about the material science and the physics. I'm no longer making value judgments about, well, that's dumb or that's not dumb. I was like, okay, my job is to help keep you out of trouble no matter how you want to do this. And, and man, I got a big smile on my face because it's I'm having a time of my life. It's absolutely magnificent. That's awesome. All right. So last question I have on that is, uh, and it's a variation of one that I asked earlier, but, What's what do you see as the next problem? So once we've got moisture figured out and these buildings are no longer having damages and, and failures because of water, uh, what's what's next after that? Well, yeah, we're we're going to be overventilating for dumb reasons because oh my god, you know, we uh, we we got this COVID thing. I mean, you know, well, we have to follow the science. Have you been? listening to people who think that they're scientists about all of this. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to destroy the infrastructure that we currently have to try to save the people in the infrastructure that, and we're doing it the incorrect way. So, you know, net zero, yeah, we got that figured out, actually. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm insanely impressed with, with, with Passive House. Um, and we've got the, I think, if we get our act together from the carbon stuff, we're going to get that figured out. But, you know, this air quality, ventilation, COVID disease, vaccination, humidification, filtration stuff, that's going to drive us crazy. And I predict, you can ask me back in a, maybe two to three years if I'm still alive, um, that we're going to end up destroying many of our buildings. We're going to end up uh, humidifying them everywhere which means we're going to end up having to spend money on dehumidifiers in the south and over and excessively having them dry up north. So we're going to have humidification. So we're going to humidify up north and dehumidify down, down south. It's going to be, it's going to be absolutely crazy. And, and, and I'm so looking forward to it because I can say, wow, I told you that. Well, how did you know? Old guys told me that. So there you go. All right. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to be uh, paying attention to that more now going forward. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, as I get towards the end of the podcast, I typically ask two questions. The first one's kind of a fun one because you get a magic wand. So if you had that magic wand and you could remove a misconception about building science, 
what misconception would you get rid of? Um, I think that the preoccupation with air barriers is misguided. I think what's more important is dealing with water. Um, guy that taught me, Gus Hanegord, said that there are three problems in buildings today. Water, water, and water. And, and, and um, you know, I have a lot of fun with the Air Barrier Association of America, ABBA. And I point out, I said, look, why would you name yourself after a bad Swedish musical group? <laughs> and, and, you know, candidly, uh, you should have been called WABA before you became ABBA. You should have had the Water Barrier Association of America before the Air Barrier Association of America. If you look at what you're doing with air barriers, what they really are are water control layers with an air control function added to them. And and and, and so, you know, this this water control, I could, you know, I mean, if you want to save cash, flash, don't be a dope slope. Good, bad. That's all that's, I mean, I can't believe that after 30, 40 years of doing this, that's still the most common defect I have to deal with in buildings. Amazing. Yeah, I agree with you there for sure. Um, last question that I ask is a personal interest question for me. I read and collect a lot of books. So if you were to recommend a book right now, personal or professional, which one would it be? <laughs> My book? I just finished rewriting the Moisture book. It's called Moisture Control for Residential Buildings. It'll be available on our website, buildingscience.com, in eight weeks. Okay. Um, so it just went in for printing. And so it was a... Uh, a labor of love and a pain of love to rewrite something after uh, three decades. Um, I thought I knew a lot 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot more now, I'd imagine. Well, I, I know that I know a lot less than I thought I did. And <laughs> my God, that's, that's a big revelation. That's normally how life goes. We just progressively know less because we know more. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. For everyone listening and watching, I'll put links down below to Building Science Corp and uh, some of the other info that we've talked about. And with that, uh, Dr. Joe, have a great rest of your day. You're very welcome. It's uh, an honor and a pleasure and a privilege talking to you. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening to this week's episode of Better Construction. I really appreciate you taking the time to do so. If you have any questions for myself or the guest, you feel free to reach out on social media or on the website at uh, www.betterconstructionmedia.com. And with that, we'll talk again next time.